Hello and welcome to Planet A, a program focused on climate change and environmental matters here in Nebraska. My name is Annie Bowling. The topic this week is the City of Lincoln's Climate Action Plan, which was in its planning process from 2019 to 2020 and was shared with the public in draft form in October of 2020 and is expected to be adopted in its final form in March of 2021. One of the plan's goals is to reduce Lincoln's net greenhouse gas emissions by 80% by year 2050 through low-carbon energy, efficient transportation, and other methods. The plan also has goals in local food systems, waste reduction, and citizen protection. Our guests today are two leaders of the Lincoln Climate Action Plan. Mickey Esposito is the Lincoln City Mayor's Senior Policy Advisor, and she leads the Resilient Lincoln Initiative and has additional experience in environmental policy, projects, and law. Kim Morrow is the Director of Climate Planning and Resilience with the Verdes Group, which is a consulting company that was commissioned by the Lincoln City Mayor, Larian Gaylor-Baird, to develop the Lincoln Climate Action Plan. Mickey and Kim have been working with other city leaders and climate experts to identify how Lincoln could be more climate resilient and how to make that happen, shortly after Mayor Gaylor-Baird took office in May 2019. Kim, could you start us out by explaining what that year-long process looked like in forging the Climate Action Plan? Sure, I'd be happy to explain the process that we followed to create the Climate Action Plan. Um, We follow a a strategic planning process that's very much stakeholder-driven. So we approach these projects with the understanding that we really want to have a lot of community input in understanding climate vulnerabilities and developing strategies to address them. So we, uh, the first part of the project was assembling the Climate Resiliency Task Force, which was made up of about 40 different people from various sectors of the Lincoln community. We aimed for, for diversity in that group. Um, so we'd have a lot of different perspectives represented. And the, the hope was too that we, were, we could have individuals who would be interested and willing to carry the work forward in their own sectors um, after the plan was complete. Um, And then we developed an advisory group of city staff. And then of course the the general public was another stakeholder group. So we have a planning process that we call our four pillars planning process. And it starts with visioning. So the first step is to create a vision for where we'd like to be in 2050, what kind of community Lincoln could be given the, the way that the climate is expected to change. And then from there, we move into our vulnerability assessment. So we look carefully at the projected impacts um, to Lincoln. We consulted with climatologists. We looked at demographic information. We looked at how climate impacts, how they've occurred in the past and how they may be exacerbated in the future to get a really clear idea of the of the main climate risks that Lincoln faces. And then from there, we moved into strategy development, which is where we develop a whole range of strategies to build resilience and reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And then finally, the last step is implementation planning, um, which Mickey has taken the lead on in the last few months in particular, talking about um, and, and planning out how specifically this plan will move forward. There's an emphasis in the text of this plan and also in your explanation of the process just now, Kim, on input from the community. What avenues were used to hear from members of the public through that initial planning process and also once the draft plan was formed and available to the public? And also, who did you hear from? Kim, do you want to talk about your plan 
your planning period and then I'll talk about mine. Sure, sure. So in the planning process itself, we relied heavily on the Climate Resiliency Task Force members to communicate to, to be representatives of the sectors they were they were representing and to pass information back and forth. We also did a community survey at the beginning of the project um, that helped inform the, the vision and, and the vulnerabilities section. And then through, throughout the planning process, we consulted with a wide ranging number of subject matter experts and other community groups to, to help us round out the strategy development. And then once we got a draft plan circulated, um, I'll hand it over to Mickey now to explain how the draft was um, circulated. Right, so when the draft plan was released in the end of October of 2020, uh, that gave the city a great opportunity to get additional uh, public feedback. And so we stood up a website, we had a feedback loop um, so that we could continue to take feedback from folks who wanted to um, weigh in on the strategies themselves or the plan in general. And so we collected and gathered all of that public feedback, have made uh, responses and have actually used some of it to uh, inform the plan. At the same time, we stood up a number of stakeholder meetings. I think I've met with uh, up to 70 groups <laughs> so far. We were count counting um, well over 60 meetings um, where we were just having these interactions um, and interest and getting additional feedback and sort of monitoring where people were on the draft. Um, in addition, we just completed a public hearing um, with the Planning Commission. So that part of the process to amend this, this climate action plan will actually amend the comprehensive plan. And so uh, that was a really important public hearing. And then prior to that, we reconvened both this, um, the Climate Resilience Task Force as well as the Sustainability Working Group to weigh in as well um, to get it into that kind of six-year uh, planning document that is more, um, it just jives a little bit better with city processes. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, Mickey, what you mean by a little bit of the public input informing the plan. Can you expand on that part? Yeah, you know, um, people have um, great ideas for one thing. And I think, Kim, that was really important in the surveys that she deployed. But as you probably know, any any government um, that operates with um, within a de democratic system, right? Public sentiment is so important for shaping public policy. Um, public sentiment, if you don't have it, it's almost impossible <laughs> to get anything moving. And at the same time with public sentiment, boy, which is high in Lincoln and Lancaster County for taking climate action, it's just incredibly informative of shaping public policy. So not just the fact that people believe this is happening um, and climate change is real, but that they expect their government to do something about it. And so um, as we're getting both general and specific ideas for you know, how to take those steps, we really consider um, what, what, it, what our public is, is telling us and how to shape that public policy in a, a meaningful way. Um, that's how that works. And then that's how, you know, um, public policy is made and public funding is prioritized. And that public funding then turns into projects. 
Okay, so you've heard from the public in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different instances, lots of meetings, lots of groups, lots of individuals, a recent public hearing. Uh, so I know it's been a long chunk of time for this question to be asked, but what have you generally heard from the public and like, what has their response been to the Lincoln Climate Action Plan? Yeah, overwhelming support, overwhelming support. Um, and certainly there are people who even want us to go farther uh, than the six years. Um, that's going to happen eventually. But again, our city process takes capital improvement budgets into six-year increments. And so we don't want to lose the strategies that are incorporated in the long-term vision. However, you know, we do have a city process and a, and a governing process that we need to implement this plan by. It just is um, pragmatic and fair to take it in those chunks. But there um, are obviously some folks out there that still deny climate change is happening, and that's okay. There's room for people um, with all kinds of opinions through a democratic process to express their views. But it's incredible, the overwhelming support for the plan. And in fact, the Planning Commission, after hearing um, a lot of testimony for support of the plan, passed this one, seven to zero. So it was a unanimous support of the plan. Um, we do have one more public hearing in March, uh, the 15th of March. The City Council will be hearing on the plan and adopting it into the uh, comprehensive plan for the city as well. So there's another opportunity for people as well. Great. Thank you. Uh, looking at the plan itself, how did you settle on the goal that's sometimes referred to the 80 by 50, which is reducing the overall greenhouse gas emissions by 80% within Lincoln by year 2050? I can answer that. Um, we considered a, a range of goals, um, some that might have been a little bit more ambitious, and I don't think we really considered anything less ambitious, but we wanted to make sure that the goal was in line with the Paris Climate Accord, um, that it would be visionary and ambitious and impactful, but we also wanted to make sure it was feasible and realistic. And when we, when we had a lot of conversations with subject matter experts about, you know, realistically what kind of um, greenhouse gas emissions will still be around in 2050. And we realize there are things that are going to be really hard to eliminate in the, the last you know, bit of percentage in terms of um, diesel fuel will probably still be used, especially by heavy, heavy trucks and things like ambulances and, and semi trucks and things like that. And then, of course, all of the existing homes that use natural gas currently will still be using natural gas, presumably in 2050. And so that would be very hard to eliminate. And then there's there's some other um, other aspects of it. So while we did consider setting a zero goal, um, we realized that it would be more realistic and more achievable to set an 80 by 50 goal. And that is, that for our listeners, that's an 80% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions by the year 2050. That is in line with the vast majority of goals that, that US cities have set. So we felt confident that that was going to be the right target for Lincoln. Within that goal, what would you say is the biggest shift that needs to happen or the biggest change that is um, underway to start heading in that direction? 
Well, there are two big sectors where we want to reduce emissions. The first is energy and the second is transportation. And um, your listeners may know that the Lincoln Electric System recently adopted a, an ambitious decarbonization goal of their own to become net zero by 2040. And so the work that LES is going to do is going to be really impactful for our whole community in reducing emissions. So we're really excited about the, about the work that they're doing there. And so the next big chunk would be um, the transportation sector. And so we've looked at a, a wide variety of strategies to reduce emissions, like, for example, the city fleet of vehicles moving to alternative fuels and electric vehicles as, as time and budget allows. Um, and then there are all kinds of other things that we Lincolnites can do individually and collectively to reduce our trips to switch to more active modes of transportation and to adopt electric vehicles where possible. So um, yeah, I'd say the, those are the, the main areas of our, of our concern at this point. So beyond the carbon reduction goal through energy and transportation changes, uh, can I turn it over to you, Mickey, to add for listeners what other pieces to the plan are, are especially important? I'd be happy to address some of the more resiliency efforts. Great. Um, as, as most of you all know, we um, have to take some steps to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. But at the same time, we also have to prepare for a climate altered future. And that includes risk of flooding uh, within our city. But also, if everyone remembers in 2019, we had a historic um, Platte River flood that impacted our water supply. Um, and so, you know, that, at that time I was director of LTU and we had to implement mandatory water restrictions and it, it got really scary there for, for a bit. Um, and so building up resiliency in our community with respect to how our infrastructure, our public infrastructure withstands these climate changes um, is incredibly important. So that requires really robust planning um, and preparation and good, strong policy. And that, so it's kind of the other side of the coin. It's, it's not just mitigating the emissions um, and reducing emissions, but it's also gearing up and doing some strong, robust planning and proactive planning for what our infrastructure needs to be robust amidst these issues. You know, we had this historic cold snap from a polar vortex um, just last week. We saw the impacts in Texas. Uh, thankfully in our region, in our energy pool, we were able to weather that storm, no pun intended, but um, it's very scary, especially to vulnerable populations who are already compromised. Um, so this is to um, really stand up strong infrastructure that protects, you know, uh, our public health, public safety, um, and, and takes care of our community. So that's respe with respect to water systems, road systems, electric systems, uh, making sure that people can rely on that infrastructure. So we are taking a hard look at flooding um, and drought, as well as our single source of water supply and looking for strategies to secure a second source of water. So finding a second water source sounds like a really big undertaking. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, let's yeah. do. Let's talk a little bit about um, 
Our source of water comes from the Platte River, and, and we actually draw it from the aquifer. And um, and so, you know, a long time ago, the Lincoln Water System made a decision to invest in the Platte River, and um, which is it's 60 miles away. And currently, we're at this um, at this question of, you know, do we need to actually pursue a second source, meaning the Missouri River? Or is there a logical interconnection that we can have with the Metropolitan Utilities District in Omaha? Um, so there might be interconnect capability there, or we might be going to Missouri, but we definitely need a funding strategy <laughs> uh, because it's very expensive to invest in water infrastructure. Uh, and the cost of that to interconnect is about, you know, estimated at 300 to $400 million. And to go to the Missouri River, it's about double that. Mm. And so we really need to decide, you know, what uh, we want to do, what we need to do, what's the best for Lincoln, in addition to sourcing funds uh, from the federal, state, and local government to, to help pay for it. So that's that's ongoing, um, but because of the 2019 flooding in the Platte River, uh, you know we didn't we don't need water supply until uh, 2045. But um, because of that compromise system in 2019, we want to be able to pursue it a little more aggressively than we had forecasted. Vulnerable populations are often impacted the most by the effects of climate change. How does the Lincoln Climate Action Plan protect those populations and address their needs? For sure. Kim, do you want to start since this was incorporated into the vision? Sure. I can say a few words about it. Um, we really intentionally approached the plan with a diversity, equity, and inclusion lens. We wanted to make sure that we were aware of who are the, the people among our community who, who are most vulnerable and who will be most impacted by climate change. So we did things like um, we worked with the urban planning department to develop a GIS map that was able where we were able to overlay um, poverty data with floodplain um, data so we could see which neighborhoods might be most might have the hardest time recovering from a flood event. Um, and we also were able to map, um, you know, food deserts and where um, elderly populations live, where people who speak English as a second language live, um, and all of those kind of GIS layers helped give us additional um, in information on, on vulnerabilities. So, um, and, and as Mickey said, you know, we, we paid particular attention to flooding and drought. It's kind of like too much water, not enough water. Both of those <laughs> are the main climate risks that Lincoln faces. And, um, but flooding in particular along Salt Creek Basin is one that, that got a lot of attention. So maybe you can say more about what the yeah. city is in terms of next steps. Yeah, so as far as moving forward, um, first and foremost, we're already engaging leaders in these communities and trying to assess, engage, you know, the most important, the wildly important initiatives that would be meaningful to um, vulnerable populations in the neighborhoods that we know are really going to be uh, impacted by flood. Um, and so outreach is going to be a big 
component. And it's not just outreach in kind of a typical way. Uh, a lot of new Americans and people who are new to Lincoln are moving in these neighborhoods. So we have to be able to bridge some communication gaps and make sure we're being really proactive about um, sharing information, critical information in languages that they understand. Um, and, and so when we take a hard look at, for example, a flooding event and we stand up our emergency response plans, um, typically we get information out in English, but can we proactively plan now to bridge communication, communication gaps early before these events are even upon us um, in languages that people understand? Um, that's really something we can do. We can also gather um, meaningful input about how they want to be communicated with. Is it by email? Is it text? Is it street signs um, and putting, deploying, you know, emergency management signs out there? What is the way that they want to receive information and in what language? And so um, we can do a lot of those types of things early on before the events even occur. Uh, the other thing we're doing is in just energy efficiency and working with LES and Black Hills Energy to partner um, on how to move people away from high energy use appliances um, to more low impact appliances and how to cost share on those um, or even provide ways of, of grant dollars to those neighborhoods. And the other thing we're looking at is weatherization and insulation in homes um, and, and that partnership to, to get folks who are, you know, already in these neighborhoods living in energy inefficient homes to a more affordable living uh, type of situation with lower utility bills. We're really excited about it, if you can tell, but um, that, that piece of Kim's, you know, Kim bringing that to the plan and with an environmental justice lens uh, was just in enormous and it's a game changer for our city. Great. Thank you. Uh, one of the plan's other key action areas is building a resilient local food system. On a personal note, I'm, I'm really glad to see that that's in there. Can you talk to us about what that means and how that ties in? Yeah, Kim, you start, and then I'll tell you how the city's, what we're doing. Yeah, it is a really exciting area of the plan, Annie, and it's one that I think Mickey and I are especially excited about, too. Um, when we approach the, the plan and the, and the strategies, you know, obviously we're an ag state and we're surrounded by ag land, right? And so it makes all the sense in the world for, for Lincoln to embrace its agricultural um, history and, and present um, in a much more active way than it, than it has. Um, we're also, in our, meet, in our meetings about climate vulnerabilities, we talked about the fact that our grocery stores generally only carry a three-day supply of food. And so if there were a major disaster and transportation networks were affected, we, we could possibly run out of food because almost all of the food that we consume, you know, is trucked in or flown in from very far away. And it was kind of interesting in, in our planning meetings, that was just a theoretical possibility. And of course, since COVID happened, we all saw firsthand how those shortages in the grocery store really can occur. So um, given that, there's really an, an emphasis and excitement about growing more of our own food here in Lancaster County. Um, it's also an economic development strategy. Um, we have some thriving farmers markets already, but that's a whole sector that could grow in some really exciting ways to um, nurture local businesses um, and 
keep more of our money circulating right here within Lincoln, which actually is a climate resilient strategy. Like having a strong economy is one of the best things you can do to ensure your community is climate resilient. So I'll hand it over to Mickey to say more about the food, food development strategies. Yeah, this is the coolest chapter because normally the city is um, regulating food, right? Through food permits and health, health department inspections and things like that. So it's so nice to actually be on the other side and help with food production. And so um, ironically, the city actually owns 1,700 acres of uh, ag land which is either for row crops or for haying. And we are going to be partnering and doing a pilot with community crops to establish an entrepreneurial program for someone who might be interested in starting up a small farm. And we are so jazzed about that. So um, doing a lot of planning in 2021, it's um, for a kickoff in 2022 and working with some robust partners on that. Um, but in addition, you know, we wanted to change the way that we farm our grounds. Um, and that means getting away from conventional farming practices and, and returning to more sustainable and regenerative agriculture, uh, the city itself. So we changed up our contracts this year. We're excited to uh, really do a lot of kind of no-till cover crops, um, just more water conservation efforts and grow local food that people can eat <laughs> rather than uh, for animal feed. And so it, getting out of that commodities type business and being an example to the community is what, what we'd like to do. Um, so we're really excited to get involved and, uh, and help our partners thrive. Good deal. Thank you. So wrapping up here, looking into the future, what's next to keep this plan moving along? Well, hopefully Kim and I are standing um, on Thursday, April 22nd to kick this baby off. It's Earth Day. Um, and we would love uh, that opportunity to share this plan and start going um, and moving forward. So uh, we're really excited about the next hearing with City Council and kicking it off. <laughs> actually doing it. <laughs> I would just add that, um, you know, there's so much opportunity for creativity in how our community responds to this plan. And Mickey and I are already seeing that. We're hearing from all kinds of people who are taking up these ideas in the plan and running with them in different kinds of contexts, you know, whether it's a after school program or a church group or a community garden group, whatever. And so I, I would just love to encourage the listeners to continue to do that. Um, take a look at the plan, see what inspires you, get a group of people together and just run with it. It's really gonna take all of us innovating and creating in our own circles to, to make our, our city more resilient and climate smart. All right, that does it for this week's episode of Planet A. That was Mickey Esposito and Kim Morrow, two leaders of the Lincoln Climate Action Plan, which has been in the works for more than a year and is expected to be adopted by the Lincoln City Council on its meeting on March 15, 2021. There will be one last public hearing on the matter at that meeting, and the plan is available for viewing online at lincoln.ne.gov. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting Community Radio. This is Planet A because we have no Planet B. My name is Annie Bowling. Take care of yourselves, the Earth, and each other.